In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here as always with my co-host, executive producer, and ghost of Pop Psych Future, Mike Graham. (laughs) Okay, so I didn't expect that one, so I was not ready with a sweet ghost reply. What's going on? Well, Mike, we got a lot going on. As we shared about last week, we're now on Dash Radio, which we're very excited about. Mm-hmm. So this show is growing and evolving, and I thought it would make sense for us to take just a couple minutes up top and sort of, you know, remind the listeners why we're making this show. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and we kind of talked about this beforehand. As as the show grows, like we said, we you know we're now on the Dash Radio, real life radio station, and we have this opportunity to reach more people. So as they're listening, they might just be catching us here in our teams, running into our teams on number of episodes now, and they might not know exactly like what we're thinking and what are what we're trying to do with this. So I think it's a good idea to just kind of remind ourselves even. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll I'll say a little bit about that, you know, being that some of this is very much in line with my work in general, which is that I want to take the things that I talk about with my patients in therapy and find ways to give those lessons and those insights to a broader range of audience. I want more and more people to know the things that I get to talk about with my patients on a day-to-day basis. So one of the ways that I found that to be most effective is to find relatable ways or relatable points of entry for people to learn about this stuff. And do you actually, and I've actually just, I've wondered this and never asked you. So do you kind of use this strategy when you're actually working? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, metaphor and, and examples, either personal or popular culture are such a useful tool in therapy for people to be able to see themselves or see their situations through a different lens or, or through a different context. So as often as I can, it's something that can either bring lightness like we try to do on this show or bring a yeah. different <laughs> or a different way of looking at their problem or situation. So, so yeah, as often as I can. Yeah. And you know, it's also like for a guy like me who deals with this stuff, I, I like hearing it and not in like this really heavy medical jargon. Uh, I would love to, you know, to hear someone like me out there telling me what it's really like. So I guess, and you know, I don't want to be, it's just less boring for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the other thing we're trying to do is we're trying to make talking about mental health issues just like a normal thing. It's, right. it's normal for you to talk about going to the doctor to a certain extent. We want it to be able to be normal to talk about mental health. So that's why we're opening up these conversations through things that people already talk about very comfortably. Yeah. Doing these characters and these movies, it like just, I think, really opens up the whole dialogue of, of what's happening. And, and just like you said, being able to relate back to yourself. But I think also a goal that, you know, for everyone listening that we're trying to do is to spread this as far and wide as we can. 
And just like Ryan always says, to just to normalize this, to make this as easy as like when we first met Ryan, you said talking about it like a headache yep. or a broken bone or something, just like any medical issue that you deal with, it should be that normal to talk about. So that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. And we're happy to have everybody along for the ride. And it's been really cool to see people participating on the Facebook group and on social media, talking about this stuff in a, in a sort of a casual way. It's, it's what makes me certainly happy to see. Absolutely. And that Facebook group is becoming just this really great thing. Uh, I'm so glad that we started it. And just because you brought that up, I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, it, it's just like Ryan said, it's a really this place and there's just people in there just talking casually about maybe some issues that they're having. They get support. There's jokes and memes, but, you know, kind of all relating around this stuff. But uh, if you want to join that and and talk with those people too, you can go to Facebook and search Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat. Yeah, so thank you everybody that's in that group and thank you for the conversations that that hopefully this show is starting. So maybe we should get started on what we're talking yep, about yep. today. <laughs> <laughs> we're going long. We're not leaving our audience in suspense any longer. Today we are talking about a Christmas carol. I should be more specific. Today we're talking about a Muppets Christmas it's Carol. It's the Muppets, Ryan. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited, Mike. These these characters are so important. You cannot forget the Muppet part. I would never. And you know, I have to be honest <laughs> up front here, listeners. I uh, sort of manipulated the process to to land with this version of a Christmas Carol because this is my favorite version. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do the musical. And which is like three and a half hours long. And yeah, it's kind of hokey, but it, it gets real deep in this stuff. And Ryan's like, no, we're doing the Muppets. So we actually held a poll in the chat group and in other places. And the Muppets won by a landslide. And I couldn't be prouder of the listeners and people who voted because, you know, again, as our mission is stated, <laughs> we want to talk about this stuff in a, in a fun way. So so let's let's do it. Let's have some fun. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? Spirit, I fear you more than any specter I have yet met. Oh, this is too scary. I don't think I want to see any more. Oh, when you're right, you're right. You're on your own, folks. We'll meet you at the finale. Yeah. Oh. I am prepared to follow and to learn. Will you not speak to me? Must there be a Christmas that brings this awful scene? How can we endure it? It's all right, children. Life is made up of meetings and partings. That is the way of it. I am sure we shall never forget tiny Tim or this first parting that there was among us. A 1992 film based on the classic novel A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, starring the great Gonzo as Charles Dickens, Rizzo the Rat as himself, Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit, and Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge, the one human that, that's starring in this movie. So, the movie, set in the late 19th century on a cold Christmas Eve in London, Ebenezer Scrooge. A penny-pinching money lender is a vile, nasty, curmudgeon man 
who we see forcing his noble employee, Bob Cratchit, to stay late and return to work the next morning despite the holiday. Scrooge finds no reason to stop business for Christmas and threatens anyone with a merry wish for him, a callous bah humbug. After closing shop, Scrooge returns home and is confronted by his past and deceased business partners, the Marley Brothers. They warn him that his hardened nature will wind up sending him to an eternity wrapped in weighted chains. He is told he will be visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmases yet to come. They are going to guide him through the shadows of his life in an attempt to see where he went wrong and redeem himself. After the very clearly emotional night for Ebenezer, he wakes with a new attitude towards life and the people in it. He spends Christmas Day performing his first acts of kindness to the people of his city. He understands the goodness of the holiday and leaves a changed man who swears to live a life of charity. Well, thank you for that wonderful synopsis, Mike. And I, I'm just sad that all the rest of the Muppets haven't yet to be acknowledged. You know, what, what, uh, Fo Fozzie you know, the Bear as Fezziwig. I mean, it goes on and on. But, but no, no, I, no, no, no. See, here's the deal. Okay, I even, <laughs> this is, I thought of you when I wrote this. I was like, I can't, I can't mention all the Muppets because no, then my, my already... <laughs> super long thing will turn into even super longer you're right and and it was a great synopsis and i just want to give credit where credit is due to some Nailed of the it. other wonderful muppet characters you know and i should i just want to say this i should have acknowledged fozzy the bear because when i was a kid actually my dad and mom and uncles used to have me tell jokes and then they wouldn't laugh unless i said waka 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 indeed <laughs> So there's my Fozzie story. So yeah, so here we are talking about uh, Ebenezer Scrooge through the lens of the Muppets. Yep, yep. And this is actually based on an article, Ryan, that you sent me. Uh, and I think it's titled something like Chronic Embitterment in A Christmas Carol. Yes. Something on those lines. Yes. Diagnosing Scrooge Syndrome. What a Christmas Carol can teach us about treating chronic embitterment by Dr. Stephen A. Diamond, as written on the website Psychology Today in 2011. Yeah, and you sent me that article. We were going over Christmas episodes. We knew we wanted to do a couple in this season, and we are kind of having a hard time, even as we said last episode, that it's kind of hard to just pick a Christmas movie. But as soon as you, like, and I, I'm assuming you probably already read these articles, but you sent it to me, and I was like, oh, that's, yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting thing is, you know, the imagery that that brought up was chronic embitterment. But as it turns out, after reading the article and then watching the movie, I think this is going to be like a much broader subject. It is, because chronic embitterment is not a, a, an official diagnosis. It's not doesn't exist in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual that psychiatrists and therapists use. It's just this sort of, um, sort of colloquial diagnosis of how we sort of understand this certain set of symptoms that Scrooge in particular portrays. From what I read, and just to get us kind of jumped off here, was that he uses the term Scrooge syndrome, and he also uses the term chronic embitterment. But what he's really referring to is something called post-traumatic embitterment syndrome. That's right. Now, the first thing I'm wondering is, you know, a lot of people have seen Scrooge, 
they know just how nasty of a person that he is in this story to everyone around him. And the word embitterment really just envelops the idea that you have a Scrooge in, in your head. So what is that disorder? And is that exact definition, is that a real thing, the post-traumatic embitterment disorder? So post-traumatic embitterment disorder is also, as far as I'm aware, not specifically on the DSM. I actually read myself that it's been talked about for a long time, like something like it's entered in and then taken out and then tossed around as a thing or a diagnosis. Yeah, that's right. So basically, it's not officially in the sort of diagnosis. It's not billable to your insurance to give you a more specific answer. But it absolutely does summarize a very specific summary of symptoms that I'm happy to go into more detail of. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it'd be a good idea to kind of see if what this article was talking about describe what we all know Scrooge yeah. kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. So post-traumatic embitterment disorder, similar to post-traumatic stress disorder, both are, are rooted in this experience of trauma. But unlike post-traumatic stress, the trauma doesn't have to be something that was uh, life-threatening. And, and to be fair, PTSD does also does not have to be from something life-threatening. But we often think of post-traumatic embitterment disorder being more emblematic of things like relationships not working out, okay. difficult divorce, losses of ability or, or illness. Uh, you know, I was actually wondering if managerial stress, like pressure that your boss puts on you can do this sort of thing. Yeah, sure. To a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about these symptoms originating with this event. And in, in most cases, the patient knows that stressor. And it might even consider it as the source of their anger or embitterment. So we know as Scrooge goes through his various stages, he, he doesn't want to go back to that specific moment in, um, with the ghost of Christmas past because he knows it's still painful for him. Right. So basically, you see Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, first you see Gonzo, and I have a lot to say about Rizzo and Gonzo's relationship. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> But but we see Ebenezer play by in a, actually an incredible performance, in my opinion, from Michael Caine. We see Scrooge coming through and he's he's just a mean person yeah. and hates the idea of Christmas. He just doesn't want to give anybody anything. And sort of one of the first things that happens during the movie, besides just him kind of being a bah humbug sort of character, is his confrontation with Bob Cratchit, played by Kermit. Uh, he's already been told to stay late, and he asks about the next day, Christmas, to which Scrooge replies, well, you need to be here at 8 a.m. in the morning, and Kermit the Frog, <laughs> don't know if I'm going to get used to this, Kermit the Frog is like, well, tomorrow's Christmas Day, but it does not matter to Scrooge. So the first thing that popped into my mind thinking about embitterment was is this when this is happening to someone and they have this stretch that happened in their life and it's made them this sort of angry person? Is this become like a misery loves company situation? I I would say no. It's not so much that he wants company in his misery. It's just that he's angry all the time. And it's actually I'm glad that you went back to the beginning of the movie because the first song, which is Scrooge, as sung by the Muppets does just an incredible job of describing post-traumatic embitterment dis uh, disorder. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, if you don't mind, a couple of the lines of lyrics 
because it's I, so I bet good. You I have the same one written down. Actually. Okay. Okay. As much as I would like to sing it, nobody wants to hear that. So I'm just going to read it. A dramatic reading. <laughs> he must be so lonely. He must be so sad. He goes to extremes to convince us he's bad. He's really a victim of fear and of pride. Look close and there must be a sweet man inside. Nah. There goes Mr. Outrage. There goes Mr. Sneer. He has no time for friends or fun. His anger makes that clear. Don't ask him for a favor because his nastiness increases. No crust of bread for those in need. No cheeses for us Mises, um, which is sung by the mice. So it's like that. That's just an incredible summary of Mr. Scrooge's demeanor. But it's also it gives us a, a sort of a lens into his past that. Well, you're missing one thing there, Ryan. Even the vegetables hated him. Yes, of course. I, I left. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was a, an earlier line. Even the vegetables don't like him, which is accurate. And, and also goes to show you that this is a person who probably on the inside, if we, if we did go into therapy, is probably lonely, is probably sad. But mm-hmm. because of the trauma of his past, the only thing that comes out is anger and sort of mistreatment and all this other things of other people. So is, is that kind of, you're, you're talking about the, the stress and the, the trauma being a trigger for someone to kind of grow this way, but... I mean, is exactly what you're saying, is that the kind of outcome of those stressors? Like, is that what this evolves into? Is just someone being angry all the time? Yeah, so I'll give you some symptoms of post-traumatic embitterment disorder that that Scrooge certainly fits. Symptoms include things like aggressive slash depressive mood, reduced drive, um, which can be thought of in different ways. Like, he he certainly has a reduced drive to socialize, to interact with people. Avoidance of persons or places related to the event. So for Scrooge, the event is, you know, Christmas. Absolutely. So Christmas is sort of tied to all these past trauma. That So as a result, he doesn't even acknowledge it. I mean, he completely avoids people like yeah. at all costs. Like exactly. His house is this dirty, dingy, like he doesn't even have like for a guy of his stature in the community. You know, and you would imagine in a time like this, at least what movies tell us, that he should have like servants walking around and sure, it should be like nice and white and, yep. you know, and clean. But it's, it's just not like that. Yeah. And so we, we see this guy. And if you sort of go to the source material, the book, Charles Dickens makes note of some of Ebenezer Scrooge's sort of like physical symptoms as well. Um, things that sort of seem like tremors, poor, uh, not stature but like your posture. Like his stance. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. He like sl- hunches or slunches exactly. or whatever. Yeah. And slunches uh, is not a word, but. <laughs> <laughs> he slunches over his desk all the time. Yeah, but so so these symptoms, which obviously for Scrooge have lasted months and months, if not years, going all the way back to this event, would certainly make him a prime candidate for what we call post-traumatic embitterment disorder. Wow, and it, that, that immediately makes me wonder. So... You know, he goes home after the whole scene with Bob Cratchit and he's confronted by, in the Muppet version, uh, you're going to have to tell me their names, the two old guys that make jokes. Uh, Marley and Marley, or, or the, oh, you mean the guys, um, the actual Muppet characters? Yeah, the actors. Um, oh, man. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. You did. Well, you know, I love those guys. It's, um, it's Waldorf. S- Waldorf and Stat something Stadart Stadart. Oh man, we're gonna no. get just right. we're gonna get driven in the ground by the Muppet fans. All right. Well, sorry, Muppet <laughs> fans. Those two guys from the nosebleed seats, or no, they're not even technically the nosebleeds. They're from <laughs> the balcony seats. The balcony seats where they just make fun of everybody, and they do that here. And as they're well. fantastic. So one of the best parts of the movie. But 
they okay, so they play the Marley Brothers, and they are they were partners in business with Scrooge. They passed away. They show up in these weighted chains, and they tell him he's got to go through this experience with three ghosts, and they're going to take him through his life. And well, they don't even say they're going to show him what he did wrong. They say he's got some correction to make, but they just want to show him his life. So my immediate questions was: you had mentioned this past event, like Scrooge's trigger or trauma event. But I had big questions about that because there was two big things that seemed to have happened. He had, when he was with the ghost of Christmas past, he went to two or three eras in his life. One being, well, one being when he was a child through like teenage years and the other being when he was a young adult and had a, well, basically he left a woman for whatever reason uh, that obviously has some deep impact on him. But my further question was, before that, when Scrooge was just a kid, in the Muppet version, they talk about that he was always lonely during the Christmas season. So I'm wondering, like, when you're watching this, where do you think that his trigger point stems from? So we know, and I think he even says when in one of those flashback scenes from Christmas past, he talks about one of his teachers being sort of like a father figure to him. And he talks about right. business and all this kind of stuff. So we know just from the Christmas Carol in general that Ebenezer Scrooge's mom died after childbirth. And we, we have a general understanding that his father blamed Ebenezer for his mother's mm. death. Wow. So based on that, it would be reasonable to conclude that Christmases and holidays, you know, are not going to be fun, loose times with family. If, if they were celebrated at all. So that's why his Christmas days, you know, that they go back to in, of, with Christmas past are basically just times in school or times at work that even going back to that young age, that was all it was ever associated with. Right. And he, even at the young age, was already starting to kind of push people away. Mm -hmm. Had a couple of friends run up to him and ask him to, you know, go have fun on Christmas Eve. And he's just like, no, I'd rather be by, by myself. Yeah, he's just already pushing people away. So it, it looks like like the beginnings of it start even as a kid. And and so that leads me to so that happens and it's it's very sad actually. And Michael Caine is is looking at this little boy, you know, as a dad, we talk about that a lot. Yep. Watching anything happen to little boys that's this kind of tragic and sad really brings up big emotions. But he he takes this and he and he grows old and there's still some good stuff happening. He actually speaks very fond of Fozzie the Bear, Fozzie Wig. Fozzie Wig. And yeah, he speaks very fondly of him. So he doesn't hate everyone. And he meets Belle, who becomes his girlfriend or someone he's courting. And time passes. And there's a moment where they're sitting on a bench. And she's clearly approaching him about this relationship needs, you know, to go somewhere. And basically, he just walks away from it. And I think that was the moment where, like, Scrooge became Scrooge. Like, in the moment when he just walked away from that relationship. Yep. My view. But I was wondering, it, so he's, he's already, like, pushing people away. Why would somebody, why would someone push, push something good out of their life like that? Well, if we, knowing what I just sort of stated about his parents' situation, he doesn't exactly have a model for what a good relationship looks yeah. like. So based on that, we could sort of make the assumption that he might just have this unreasonable expectation that 
someone that you're going to marry is going to support you even if the things that you desire are sort of antithetical to the relationship. So we see in that one scene that Scrooge, as a young man, waits to get married. He does, he's sort of not ready to get married. Business, you know, says sort of like the stocks are down and all these sorts of things. Right. And his, his girlfriend just wants to get married, like doesn't care about any of that stuff. And mm-hmm. this sets Scrooge off that she doesn't either understand or relate or see what things are important to him the way that he does. Okay, so we have Scrooge becoming more Scroogey. And yep. they actually mentioned that in the song Yeah, that you said earlier. They actually mentioned that he gets worse every day. Yep. And so he, he kind of gets older. But I think a big thing, and one of the first things I thought of when I read the term chronic embitterment and, and then even read post-traumatic embitterment disorder, when you hear the word bitter and these kinds of things, you think old man. And I think a lot of that has to do with literally this character sure. that we know being a very bitter person. Can this happen? I mean, obviously we see it happening as it goes forward, but, but can someone be like totally um, overcome with these thoughts and feelings even at a young age? Yeah. And, and that's a good question because, you know, we think of bitterment and, and anger. And for me, I think something that often goes unrecognized is that the way that depression and chronic depression can present itself in men, especially is in symptoms like ongoing and persistent agitation, anger. So, so there's no question that for me, what often gets looked at as, oh, that guy has an anger problem. The truth very much frequently, more often, is that that person has like a chronic depressive disorder. So there's no question that these are some of the other diagnoses that someone like Ebenezer Scrooge might be categorized as if he was to go into treatment. As far as treatment, and I actually wrote that down, like I'm watching it and I'm thinking on the lines of embitterment, but I start seeing like because of the way he lives and because I have major depressive disorder, he lives in the dark. He lives alone. He, he almost doesn't like people to see him. These are all things that I, that I think to myself when I'm having really bad bouts of depression. And I thought major depressive disorder when I was watching it. Sure. So if someone like this came into your office, how would you begin to work with them? How would you have them like process their feelings to hopefully get to a point where they can move on or, or, or at least attempt to? Yeah, so we would definitely be looking at some, I should state out front that Unfortunately, like a lot of our episodes, someone with something like post-traumatic bitterness or post-traumatic embitterment disorder, much like Scrooge, is unlikely to seek therapy themselves. He doesn't really see himself as having anything wrong with him, which is unfortunate. And if anything, he would be the kind of guy that would be likely to be brought into therapy by his nephew or by, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a supervisor. Yeah, something like that. What we would get would be a guy that doesn't necessarily think anything is wrong. Now, in the assumption that he is willing to be open and acknowledge some of the things from his past, we might look at something like EMDR. Right. And you, you've talked about that, yep. uh, you know, a little bit. And how would that work for someone like this? Well, because we want to we want to distance Ebenezer Scrooge's associations with, let's say, relationships and even Christmas with this loss that he's experienced and this loneliness that he's experienced. And we want to create healthier associations with those holidays to be able to spend time um, with the family that he still has and that still invites him over to be able to spend time and and have positive interactions with his employees. There's a lot of opportunity here 
for him to still have a good business, but to not have, and as he does, I mean, when he has this epiphany, um, he starts making these changes. But in therapy, we'd be trying to sort of make these more gradual. So yeah, it's, it's something that EMDR could be very effective with him because we could go back to those traumatic memories and, and change the association that he has with them. Okay, so another thing that, that was really striking to me watching Michael Caine's performance was, and it was just amazing, like I said earlier, but when he's in the past and he's looking at these things, and I'm thinking about someone that becomes open in your office and you're talking to them and maybe they start admitting things to you that they haven't admitted to anyone or, or not very many people. But one thing you see Scrooge go through is when he sees and he's in with the ghost of Christmas present, he sees people basically talking crap about him and saying how much they don't like him. It actually really affects him. He doesn't get angry. It looks like he gets sad. Yep. He's, a, he's offended. It's almost like surprising to him. And, and he's like deeply hurt by the fact that these people have these opinions about him. I'm wondering if, if this would be like a common reaction that they just would totally have no idea that, that people would have these opinions about them. Well, it would be because it would be likely that someone like Scrooge would never even consider other people's opinions of him. So mm. he, he wouldn't even think to consider how people view him because it wouldn't be important to him. But through this journey that he takes, he's sort of softened up by the ghost of Christmas past. You know, he, he ex mm -hmm. re-experiences some of these traumatic memories. So now he's, he's nice and soft. So now when he sees the, the present of, of his actions and the consequences of his behavior, it's like, oh, I now am impacted by this recognition, by these events around me, by, by people's perceptions of me. And that's like kind of mind-blowing to even think about. Uh, I guess I just feel bad for him that, that he has to see it in this light in order to understand what's going on. But you're talking about how he went back and he had to relive these memories and learn about going forward with them. I guess one of the things, and, and, you know, we talk a lot about accuracy on this show, you know, we do the ratings at the end on accuracy. And, you know, I know this is just entertainment and it's not meant to be portrayed this way. You know, we do some movies that are portrayed specifically for this kind of stuff, but this one definitely isn't, you know, it's a written a century before psychotherapy. But he has one night of these experiences, and the next day he is a changed man. I mean, like, he comes out of that, his bedroom, you know, he does the classic, like, he swings the windows open, and, and you know, he almost kills Gonzo and Rizzo. And he's screaming, you know, he has the kid go get the hen, and he goes and he gives money to everyone. And, it, you know, if you're looking at learning a lesson and, and overnight change, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are when you see anything portrayed as overnight change. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because just for a second, I want to treat Ebenezer Scrooge like a person who actually experienced these visions, as opposed to this just being like a a, a fun literary... Uh, like dissection? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're looking at Scrooge literally seeing ghosts? Yes. Well, so okay. so imagine for a second if if Scrooge went about his next day and started talking about seeing these ghosts, right? Oh, no. Seeing a ghost of Christmas past, seeing the ghost of Christmas present, seeing the ghost of Christmas future, and, like, his relatives start to get a little concerned about him, and maybe <laughs> they bring him to a doctor. Now, now, back in the 1800s, this diagnosis did not exist. But with the symptoms that we, we think Scrooge might describe, 
it actually fits this sort of recently identified type of dementia. Oh, wow. Which is called uh, Lewy body dementia. I may be mispronouncing that, but Lewy body dementia. And so essentially it fits somewhere in between Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Okay. And one of these sort of hallmark symptoms are these vivid and detailed hallucinations, sometimes featuring friends and relatives. Wow. And, and like Scrooge's visions or hallucinations, these experiences obviously are distressing, often terrifying. Oh, I bet. Yeah, of course. I mean, it'd be like, it would be like traveling through time. Mm-hmm. So, and early on in the disease, the hallucinations can, can occur, and then the sort of disease progresses to more cognitive deficits and things that m- might look more like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Yeah. So, so imagine if you, you know, all of a sudden actually had these sort of hallucinations, you might wake up the next morning feeling like, oh man, I got to change some stuff. Like, what the hell was that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Overnight. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, it scared the bejesus out of you. Yeah. You got to... I have to make a change or these ghosts are going to keep coming back. Sure. Yeah. So, so to that extent, it's hard for me to say like this could really happen to people, but things like this do really happen to people. Wow. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. I, I just get to thinking about when you're talking about stuff like that, that, you, you know, still in today's age, you hear a lot of, a lot of like, oh, you know, it's just in your head. But, but like when you hear about stuff like that, like that can't, I mean, that's just, your brain. It's intense. It's capable of a lot. That's for sure. Right. We've talked a lot about his Christmas past and, and futures and, and presents. The the last big question I had today for you was what does his future look like after the movie ends? Do you think based on I mean you can even do both realities, the literary dissection versus the actual ghosts dissection. Sure. Literary speaking, you know, these were just sort of metaphorical ghosts or what have you. The way he's portrayed is like, oh, now he's this extremely generous, giving, kind person all of a sudden. I will say, as someone who's worked with people in addiction, sometimes what this is referred to as the pink cloud effect, which is that as soon as things start getting better, whether that be from your addiction or depression or anxiety or what have you, It just feels great and you feel capable of anything and you're on top of the world. And unfortunately, that doesn't last. Typically, Hmm. you you fall back to some sense of normalcy and that might not be like feeling really good. It might just be feeling okay. But for people that can be sort of unsettling. So, right. So unfortunately, it's, it's possible that he may fall a little bit back from that extreme generosity and fall somewhere in the middle or, or have sort of relapses of embitterment. Yeah. All those are things are certainly possible. Okay. And that's kind of what I thought, like, like, okay, he's going to have these, these big highs from this really intense experience. And then if, when the movie ends, things, you just, I mean, that's just how it works. You get used to things and yep. then things just kind of settle back down. What would you recommend as a family member? If, if you have someone who's angry constantly, someone who's pushing people away and, and all you want as a family member or a friend is to see this person, you know, gain some happiness in your life. Like how would you just kind of recommend a family member go about that? Well, it's actually, you know, the nephew, Fred, does a, does a really great job of this. Invites him to Christmas, doesn't really acknowledge any of the embitterment, angry stuff in a negative way. Yeah, exactly. He, he doesn't, doesn't react to it in in ways that probably a lot of people in Scrooge's life do, which is they either avoid him or confront him, right? 
Yeah. Fred is just very neutral. You know, uncle, we'd love for you to come to Christmas. And really, that's the best that that someone can do is to to sort of be what we call a solid object that we don't let the negative behavior of that loved one impact you or your family negatively. You can offer them support. You can offer them um, opportunities to join in on activities or events that might be happening within the family. To a certain extent, you can encourage things like self-care or, or healthy or positive activities, but to push therapy or things like that, it's not necessarily going to make anything better. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with Overanalyzing with Ryan. Quick break to talk about one of our favorite podcasts, The Antidotes Podcast, Stories in Medicine, a weekly podcast hosted by an EMT turned nurse practitioner who swaps stories with other nurses, paramedics, doctors, and medical professionals. Their tales range from humorous to wild to moving, but all have shaped the way they have practiced medicine. So definitely check out The Antidotes Podcast, Stories in Medicine. And now back to Pop Psych 101. All right, and we're back. And now we're going to jump into a little segment that we like to do when we're covering movies or, or books or, or TV shows that aren't necessarily geared towards the, the subjects that we're talking about, though we're still able to dive into them. It's very important to talk about these things. However, we do like to do this one as a little fun thing in these events. And, and it's a segment where Ryan digs real deep into this stuff, almost to the point where he's overanalyzing. So right now, here is Overanalyzing with Ryan. Get the feeling that there's a hidden, deeper meaning in your favorite movies, books, and TV shows? Look no further. Therapist Ryan Engelstad goes so deep that what he brings back may not exist at all. This is Overanalyzing with Ryan. All right, Mike, are you ready for this? I'm I'm really ready. You were you were bragging about it beforehand, so I'm I'm excited to hear whatever it is that you analyzed. Okay, so I'm um, I'm taking a historical look at a Christmas Carol and the impact that it's had on, let's just say, mental health in general. A Christmas Carol was written by Charles Dickens in 1843. Hmm. He's old. Yeah, yeah. So it takes place <laughs> in that sort of mid to late 19th century. Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past. We go through his past, the ghost of Christmas present. We see the impact of his present behaviors and the ghost of Christmas future in which we see the possible results of his negative behaviors if they continue. Mike, do you know when psychotherapy is generally viewed to have begun? I do. And what do you know about it? It's the late 20th century uh, with Freud, right? Freud is the right is the right name to have have in mind, but it's actually not the late 20th century. It's actually the late 19th century. So so right around this time, right around this time. Oh, wow. So it is my so I was totally off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So my overanalyzing theory is that this book was published and was obviously hugely popular. It's it's generally regarded as Charles oh, Dickinson's most popular God. work. So I this know where you're going with this. This book is disseminating throughout Europe, right? It's huge. It's huge. It even actually uh this book was illicit illicitly copied and distributed without any permission like widely for like a while. That's right. So we we know that Ebenezer Scrooge goes through his past, sees the things that went wrong, 
goes through his present, sees the impacts of his negative actions, goes to his future, sees the possible negative consequences if those actions do not change. It's generally regarded that talk therapy originated sometime in the 1880s by mm. one of Sigmund Freud's colleagues and friends named Joseph Brower, who was working right. with, with a woman named Anna who had had some traumatic experiences of her own and what was sort of experienced at the time as hysteria. Oh, wow. So keep in mind, this book was written in 1843. That's right. I think. Yep. So, so we think about the popularity and, and sort of the, the ages that Sigmund Freud and his colleague Joseph Brower would have been when this book became popular. So, Mike, as someone who has been in therapy, what is the first thing you do when you're in therapy? You talk about your past. You talk about, you, you do an you evaluation, give them, you, right? You give them your life story. That's you right. tell them where you've been and, and, and that way they can help you realize, okay, you continue. Yeah. So you, you revisit all the things that have happened in your past, good, bad, and indifferent. Yep. And then talk therapy, I would say, generally proceeds to, okay, what's happening now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's where weekly like uh, a reoccurring continual therapy kind of starts going is how are you doing? What's happening now? That's right. And when things are not going well, when there are, let's say, relapses of symptoms or uh, a person who is refusing to change, a therapist will very frequently confront a patient with the possible negative consequences of their future. Maybe this is an experience you've had. I know this is something that I've, I've experienced um, working with patients in addiction. No, that's exactly what happens. If I'm not using, like my, my, my current therapist is, is uh, we're working on coping stuff. She, she does it real slowly with me. But, you know, I, I've seen therapists in the past. And when I'm not using coping mechanism, mechanisms in learning to use the skills they're trying to give me, they tell me where I'm going to wind up. That's right. And that actually, that technique, if we call it that, actually has a term, and it's called the Dickens Method. If you Google the Dickens Method... <sighs> when do I put the explosion sound in? <laughs> <laughs> if you Google the Dickens Method, it talks all about how playing out the tape of your future if changes don't happen, how that can activate your energy to make changes in the present. This is very popularly used by guys like Tony Robbins. And certainly therapists. And it's actually something that I've written about um, in articles on Medium and things like that as well. So, Mike, my overanalyzing, to summarize where I'm going with this. My brain is leaking out of my body right now. Is that Sigmund <laughs> Freud should not be the father of modern psychotherapy. Ah! <laughs> and that it should actually be no! Mr. Charles Dickens. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, I have goosebumps. Because, I mean, I saw where you were going, but even still, once you got there, like, just kaboom everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they give Ebenezer Scrooge the most rapid form of talk therapy someone could receive. I mean, what you're saying, and I'm just going to, I'm going to do my, I'm good at synopsis, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to synopsisize, also not a word. <laughs> Summarize. You're, yeah. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> I don't know why I'm a talk show host. Um. So, <laughs> so basically, what you just said is Charles Dickens wrote a book. It was incredibly popular, and some smart guys read it and said, "Hey, that's a good idea." Said, "Hey, that's a good idea." 
maybe we can replicate this process with people who are struggling with various issues. Wow. And here we are today, you know, uh, what, 150 or 100 and some odd years later. I mean, it's I, 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 I'm wondering just from hearing that whether we can do some research after this episode and maybe even talk about a little up top in the next one of whether there's other people that have wound up on this same theory. Full disclosure, this may be like a more generalized theory or, or overanalyzing thing, but I, I couldn't stay away from it. It, it was just shouting at me as I watched this movie and thought about this story. So, but, but it was the first time you had thought about it. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies to anyone if this is something that's already out there. But to me, it was like, well, there's something here. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I mean, if you put the easiest path is the right solution, like that makes complete sense. Yeah. So there's, there you have it. There is overanalyzing with Ryan of a Muppet's Christmas Carol. <laughs> overanalyzing with Ryan. This is overanalyzing with Ryan. Okay, that was a really good one, Ryan. We are we are going to get long on time here. So I think that we talked about kind of just going over some things about the holidays and, and with this stuff in mind with each other. Yeah, so it, it occurred to me, Mike, that we shared some, some of our own personal histories, but I like to play a hypothetical game sometimes too. So being that we're talking about I'm Up as Christmas Carol, Mike, if you were visited tonight by the ghost of Christmas past, where would it take you? Oh my god. Uh I mean how how um transparent are we trying here? Are we going medium or do you want me to go all the way down or <laughs> No, no, no. Uh because we do, how about this? How about I go first? Okay, okay. You set the bar and I'll I will stay set on the it. bar. Okay. Okay. All right. So answer your question. <laughs> so I'm going to answer my question with a with a preface. If there are any children in the car listening, I'm going to tell a story about Christmas that they may or may not want to hear. So feel free to uh, pause or turn us off and come back later when you can. So, Mike, I'm going to tell a story of... That was really kind of you. Of how... Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell a story of how I learned that Santa Claus wasn't real. I'd be pissed. All right. Yeah, go. <laughs> All of that being said, um, I'm a... I'm going to say somewhere in the like fourth to sixth grade range, which might sound a little old. So I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11. But the reason that I didn't find out until this, this age is because I had younger siblings. So I have three younger siblings, two, four, and six years younger than me. So the story of Santa Claus was maintained as long as my parents could maintain it. But I will never forget that there was a, a person in my grammar school who claimed to attempt to record Santa Claus on a video camera, right when video cameras were becoming something families owned, an attempt to capture who he was, right? And the story they told was that they set up a sort of hidden camera in their living room and pressed record all night. The next day sort of snuck away to watch the recording. They claim, obviously I never saw this video, Yeah. at, at some point during the video, it went static. And then the static came out and the Christmas presents were under the tree. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how every middle schooler would react to that story. So I'm like, okay, wait a second. I didn't even know we could try to do something like that. <laughs> no. Man, you're blowing my mind here. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so I didn't. I didn't attempt to uh, to record Santa Claus, but I did sort of attempt some snooping of my own. And I'm sad to say that I, I'm let's just say I made a discovery of where the presents were really coming from. It's not my oh. proudest moment, but it happened. And at being the good older brother, I did not tell my siblings. I shared. I, I kept this to myself. You've been good guys since day one, right? Well, until they learned on their own. Well, you know, because I knew it was sort of a letdown. It was like, oh, so all those stories are, are just I stories. A, I have a follow-up question. Please continue. So I, what we didn't do Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, it not that we didn't sell. We celebrated Christmas and we used Santa Claus, but we were told from the get go that it wasn't, you know, sure, r- real. Yeah. And I've always wondered what it was like to have that taken away suddenly. Like what? How'd that feel? You know, as I was saying, it was kind of the age where I would say most kids knew. So for me, I was old enough that it didn't have such a significant impact that I know it's had on other kids that found like, out, let's say, too early. Like, did you already? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that you know just enough about what your parents do around the holidays that those connecting the dots, it's not as sort of shocking at that slightly older age than it would be if I were a little bit younger. So for me, it wasn't this, like, devastating thing. It was more just like, oh, it's just it's sort of like a letdown, like a sad <laughs> thing. Like there's not really a guy who comes down the chimney. And, and you know, so unlike your, and you, you sort of mentioned that maybe you guys didn't do the whole Santa thing. Like my parents really did. We had to write a letter to Santa Claus. We had to leave out milk and cookies. And and they did an incredible job. The cookies were always eaten. The milk was always drank. There were always like um, crumbs leading towards the chimney. <laughs> if if we left good like, parents yeah incredible it's fun yeah it should be fun and you know the whole thing so it was more just sad in that like disappointing thing but it also gave me a really strong appreciation for like the extents that my parents went to just to really hold up this tradition for our family so that's me so mike that's where i've set the bar for you so feel free to answer the question in, in whatever way you you see fit all right, all right. Where does the ghost of Christmas past take me walking on Ryan's bar? You know, I, okay, I, I know exactly where this is, actually. Now, like I said, we didn't do Santa Claus, which is, which is fine. I always wished we had because I guess I never got that. We didn't do Halloween either. So I always wish that, we, that I'd had that, those both experiences, but more Santa Claus. I always really wanted that, like, that like a magical belief of, of something like that. When I was little, even with not believing in that in Santa, I still was so pumped about Christmas. I'm in like most kids, like can't sleep. Yeah. Getting up and, you know, constantly going in and and mom being like, I'm going to get you some warm milk, you know, maybe that'll help you sleep. (laughs) And then still like, I I, I remember I, there was one Christmas I got up and did push ups, Like even like I was a kid, I did push ups so I would get tired. And go back to sleep. Yep. I, I don't know which exact Christmas it was or what year or how old I was, but there was the Christmas where I just fell asleep. Mm. Yep. And, and, and we just woke up and wasn't like walking into my parents' bedroom at 5 a.m. So, so a little bit of the magic had gone is what you're saying. Right, right. But naturally, right? Of course, Probably yeah, yeah. Of course, near yeah. the same age when that stuff was happening. I bet you it was 12 or 12 or 11 or 12 around there. Mm-hmm. 
I, I would say as far as the, the Christmas past of, of taking me back to where, and I'm just viewing it as sort of when the magic of Christmas is leaving, it would be, yeah, the, the night that I, when I slept through the night. <laughs> okay. Yep, there we got it. You got our Christmas past experiences. Now we just, we are, as usual, running low on time. So, Ryan, we got to do our ratings for the day. If you haven't listened before, we do a rating system. We like to rate things on accuracy so you know what we're talking about. Ryan rates that on a scale of one to five, somethings. And then I rate on a scale of one to five stars on the quality of the movie. Ryan, what do you got this week? So, Mike, I'm going out of five humbugs. Oh, perfect. What a great word that 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 is. That, did anyone else ever use that word? Uh, well, they should. It should be used more frequently. <laughs> My wife does. <laughs> so this one is is a little tough because as we talked about sort of in the buildup, we could treat this as like a, a accurate, this guy, Ebenezer Scrooge, really experienced these things. And could it be a real true depiction of something like Louis body dementia, which sounds like a thing I just made up? <laughs> Or do we treat it as maybe the way it was initially intended, which is that this is a literary tale told to give warning to those people who may carry chronic embitterment in their heart due to whatever trauma of their past. And to that extent, I do want to treat it that way. So yes, Ebenezer Scrooge shows these symptoms of what we would now call chronic embitterment. And to that extent, we sort of apply this diagnosis that, again, doesn't actually exist to this person. So in that context, I am giving Ebenezer Scrooge two out of five humbugs. So apologies, oh. apologies, Ebenezer. I missed you on this one, Ryan. Well, it's it's because it's be, and, and listen, I should I should clarify, like I'm very excited that the metaphor exists for art for us to use. Yep. And as we mentioned in the overanalyzing, to the extent that this could be the father of modern talk therapy i'm very appreciative for the story you should write an article about that yeah i should <laughs> but the story itself you know people do not get better overnight that's that's i think the thing i want to want yeah. people to take away from this that was my that was my issue like but if we're doing it in our way i was like well yeah that's that, that's going to be not right right so that's that's why i'm ranking it where it is is that as you asked me before how would we help somebody in this situation and the honest answer to that is that it's going to take a long time for this person right. to get to the point that Ebenezer got to overnight. I actually read about a lot of cases like this. It's hard for people to move past these feelings. Very hard. But it can be done with therapy and, and willingness, I think. Yep, no question. Okay, so here I go. I'm going to rate this on a scale of one to five stars on the quality of the movie. Guys, there might not be another Pop Psych 101 episode after this. I think Ryan's going to quit the show when I get done with this rating. Are you still there, Ryan? Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just scared. I'm trembling. In, uh... You went silent. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. Okay, okay. Okay. The, the Muppets are hilarious. Totally threw me off guard. I really have never watched a lot of Muppet stuff. So I was actually pleasantly surprised by the comedy and all that. You know, I love the Gonzo and Rizzo. And like I said, I actually have, I have a whole thing written here that we can get to do today, which is my funny questions about Gonzo and, and Rizzo, <laughs> about whether Gonzo is a sociopath or not. I loved, I loved the, the Muppets and their dynamic with the human. Michael Caine rocked this performance. I mean, it was really, really, really touching his reactions to seeing his past, present, and future. So. 
all these things. I mean, at this point, using just those, I mean, I'm going pretty high. I was thinking four, but Ryan, the songs brought it down. Oh, but Mike, I read you the song. That was so good. I know that you read the song and it was important for the episode, but as far as the actual songs in the movie, it brought this from what I was going to go a four, brought it down to a two. Wow. The, mo- the songs were that bad for me. I just did not like them. It, and you know what it was, Ryan? It's because there's another Scrooge musical that I was hoping to do for this episode. Well, well just for that, <laughs> I, I refuse to ever watch that Scrooge musical. Then. No, no, it's Albert Finney. Well, then Albert Finney can, can live on in his own world. I will, never, I will never know will... him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, all I, all I can say to that, Mike, is a sad waka waka. Oh, my God. All right. Well, that on on the on the waka waka, we're going to get out of here today, everyone. Thank you to everyone who's been listening, commenting, subscribing, all those kinds of things. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to join the chat group if you're wanting a place to talk to other people about this kind of stuff in a casual way. Oh, and I do want to thank Kevin McLeod for some of the music we use during our episodes. You can find him at incompetech.com. Ryan, as usual, thanks for talking with me every week. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so a lot to unpack with Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge and his Muppet Pals. Taking a break from overanalyzing, though, there are some important lessons we can learn from the journey Ebenezer goes through in just one night. First of all, while post-traumatic embitterment disorder may not be an officially recognized diagnosis, it is entirely likely that you know someone like Mr. Scrooge, a bitter, angry person who, for different reasons, is difficult to get along with, work with, or have in your family. That being said, there is hope for them and for you being able to get along with them. You and your personal Scrooge must remember that these changes do not happen overnight, and it is more likely that it could be months or even years of work to find the transformation that Mr. Scrooge experiences in this movie. So it is important that you take a lesson from Scrooge's nephew Fred and all the Muppets in this movie and treat your personal Scrooge with the most lightness and Christmas spirit you can muster. That doesn't mean you shouldn't set appropriate boundaries with them. In fact, this is an important part of building a healthy relationship. But it does mean practicing empathy and a willingness to be there when the Christmas spirit does return. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you as always to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at PopPsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. PopPsych101 is not only a podcast, but also a radio show. You can find us on the Real Life Radio Station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.